Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest focuses her practice on bankruptcy and distressed transactions. She has experience with real estate, equipment financing, and technology matters. A lawyer, legal tech designer, and legal tech author, Ivy Gray, welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Ivy. I'm excited for our conversation. You were involved in three distinct areas. If you could focus on how you got into being in legal tech, being a legal tech designer, writing in legal tech, and of course, your decision to become a lawyer. I have just reached my 10-year mark as a lawyer, and it is a rewarding and fulfilling career. And a lot of people who became lawyers did so because they you know, they were inspired by Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, or there was some event in their life or some person in their family that made them think really highly of lawyers. And they decided that they wanted to be one. I sort of backed into it after already having a career in public relations, advertising, and marketing. And so I was looking for a new way to use the skills that I already had. I really liked writing and research. I really liked working on stressful situations and turning them around into something positive. I, you know, I really like to be that partner with my client to have a good outcome. So I went looking for a career where that was possible. And someone suggested that I should check out being a lawyer. And it turned out to be a really good fit. Then I got into legal tech in an equally odd manner. I had no intention of becoming a legal tech designer or creator. I assumed that legal tech would simply be something that I use, not something that I made. And I have a friend who I know through dancing, which is a side hobby, and he is the creator of Perfect It. And throughout the time that I'd known him, he had been bugging me to try his software. And I said, I don't need that. I'm perfect. And he's like, no, no, all lawyers need help. Everybody needs help. You should really try this. And so after years of resisting, he finally said, look, you just finished your LLM thesis. Why don't you run it on your LLM thesis? And I bet you a bottle of your favorite scotch that it will find errors. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. So you're on. So the day after I turned in and defended my thesis, I finally ran Perfect It. And guess what? It found errors. So I lost that bet. But I couldn't leave well enough alone. So I went to Daniel and I said, you know, your program is really great. And it does a lot of fantastic things in terms of consistency and proofreading and all of these checks that I thought that I had been good at doing myself. But it turns out I need help. The thing is, though, that lawyers use words different from other people. And we would need a little bit more or it would need to be adapted to really be a hit in the legal field. And he said to me, oh, really? Well, why don't you come join me and build the solution that you envision? And I said, yes. So that's how I got into legal tech. And then from there, it sort of spun out into becoming a legal tech writer. We do a lot of inbound marketing and consultative sales in terms of how we sell Perfect It with American Legal Style. So I think a lot about how we produce our work as lawyers and how I would get lawyers interested in trying my program. And from there, I started to think more widely about legal service delivery in general and innovation. And 
that really just started to occupy an incredible amount of space in my mind. And when the opportunity came up to start writing on a regular basis, I jumped at it and inspired and continue to be inspired by the community. So I, it's really an honor to be able to participate and to contribute like that. That's fantastic. And that's how we met through your writing. I had the opportunity to read several articles and, and some interviews that were done that you participated in. The way you got into legal tech design, that's the way those of us who are social have networks and the friend or the acquaintance saying, I'd really like to talk to you about something further. How did you know that this was something that you could do, that this would be part of your skill set? What allowed you to be confident that you could add value in the designing of that offering? A couple of things. Well, first, just to be honest, I wasn't entirely sure that I would be good at it. But because I, Daniel trusted me and I trusted Daniel, I figured that it was definitely worth exploring. And if we came up with something that was really good, then we would continue it. And if we didn't, you know, it was a chance that we took and we would not be sad that we tried. So there's always that. I wasn't sure. That said, I did grow up in Silicon Valley, which means that I'm right there with the Apples and the Googles and the Affimax and the Affimetrics and Yahoo. Everything that was going on in the Bay Area was just part of my daily life. Being a tech entrepreneur was something that was normal and something that people tried. And in college, I was very much tech savvy and forward thinking. I worked in IT as one of my internships throughout college, and I ended up designing the budget database for the Dean of Students office. And you know, so tech is just something that I've always done as part of my finding a solution to a problem. And in terms of the substantive skills that I needed to have to create American legal style, that really came from being a stickler for writing and blue booking. And I did a lot of that in law school. I had two positions on the executive board of the Houston Business and Tax Law Journal. I was the inaugural symposium editor, and I was also chief notes and comments editor. Through my journal work, I had to really learn to care about blue booking and coach other people through the blue booking process. And so I was certain that I knew that aspect of legal writing really well. And through my career in PR and in journalism, I was pretty sure that I was a strong writer. And when you combine all of those things, I thought maybe I can help and maybe I can take all of the experience that I have and turn it into a program that can really help lawyers get better documents out the door faster. Combining of what are not only skills, but obviously some interests. Today, there's so much going on in the legal space with in-house legal departments, with legal operations, with legal purchasing, with technology coming into play across the gambit, flexible lawyering with just a lot of change coming down. And there's a good number of people talking about it. You took your experience as a lawyer, obviously your PR experience and your first career background. Then of course, this experience now diving into technology and from a design perspective, you took all of that and said, okay, now I'm going to write about legal tech. Did you have a plan? Did you write one article and it did well? And therefore you said, well, I want to do more. I really want to share my opinion. The first thing that I really started writing about was ethics and the duty of technology competence under Model Rule 1.1 and Comment 8 that required lawyers to really know their technology and to keep abreast of changes. And other people had been talking about it, but in this way that was very nebulous and accessible, 
they would jump to AI or they would really focus on e-discovery. And there are a lot of lawyers who are afraid of AI or who aren't using e-discovery. And so it felt like the duty of technology competence maybe shouldn't matter to lawyers. And I thought, well, that's not true. It matters to us. We use technology and there are simple technology tools that we're all using every day, like Microsoft Word. And we need to know how to use those well. So I was very passionate about bringing the duty of technology competence home and making it accessible to all lawyers. So that was really the first foray into writing about legal technology. And then from there, people were excited about how I had approached things. So Tim Barron, who was at Rocket Matter at the time and then at Good to Be Social, he said to me, you know, Above the Law is really interested in getting more writers who have fresh and interesting takes on innovation and legal technology. Are you interested? And I said, well, let's have a conversation. And we just really hit it off. And we figured I'd commit to writing at least a handful of articles and see where that went. And it turns out that people are very interested in what I have to say, which is surprising and flattering. And the community is constantly discussing new things and generating new ideas. And I often have a fresh take on that. So it's great to be able to put that out there and to get that sort of engagement. Those are the things that happen as part of the transition. And it's actually part of success. And now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com backslash left foot and download a free title to start listening. That's audibletrial.com backslash left foot. Having talked to more than 120 different thought leaders, I would suggest in a lot of cases in the legal industry, many in-house counsel, many in-house operations professionals, definitely general counsel, major corporations. As I asked the question about what they're seeing that's innovative, most of the responses that come back are not really innovative. And they will admit that. They're saying, we're just starting to apply technology and processes that have been in other businesses, HR, finance, IT, We're just starting to apply those to the legal industry. And of course, there's more unique things out there in the market, kind of more on the bleeding edge than leading edge. What are you seeing? Is there something innovative out there or is there something that is really resulting in change, but it's disciplined and not innovation? So I probably fit more with the in-house counsel that you've been speaking with, where I have a more incremental and measured approach. It's not going to feel like an aha moment. I define innovation as creating new value from ideas, including applying new concepts to old processes and applying existing concepts to meet new goals. It's not something that has to be never done before. It just has to be not done before in this context. And I don't think that we need to have total upheaval or disruption. I don't think that our clients are asking for it. I don't think that we have that sort of risk tolerance, but I do think that we can make some major changes in what we're doing. And I like to focus on ways to make those changes palatable and for them not to seem like they're so big. And you'll see that that is a trend in all of the articles that I write. I talk about, here's how you can improve implementation. Here's how you can align policies. Here's how you can get certain types of training to be more effective at what you're doing. Here's how to evaluate your choices. 
Here's how to evaluate whether it's working. All of those things are innovative because you're applying something new to, or you're applying something old, I would say, to a new situation. But none of them are really that different from what we've seen before. And I'm okay with that. It's an interesting point. I was part of a group that did an analysis of all the award winners, in-house legal departments and law firms that were award winners for the last three years. And when you look down the list, none of them were new technology. It was the implementation of technology that already existed and how they implemented and transitioned. The biggest award winner through all of that was implementing Adobe Sign, which isn't new, but it's definitely changing departments. Things like e-signature are going to make a huge difference in how we deliver and practice law. It is a major bottleneck in a lot of transactions, and it causes people to miss closing deadlines and all sorts of things go wrong simply based on signatures. So of course, it's innovative and it's going to be groundbreaking, even though it's not new. But we do need to change how we do things to allow those new technologies to really have that impact in law. Which leads us to the next question. There are changing market conditions. Most professionals were not immediately affected. There was somewhat of a few-year lag. And we're still in that. And when I talk to lawyers and in-house counsel in Europe and in Australia and other places, they talk about the fact that they didn't bounce back there as quickly as we did here in the States. And of course, today in the States, we're hearing in the legal press that there are changes that are being made. There's efficiency discussions. They're looking at rebadging of lawyers. There's a lot going on. From your seat, from your writing, from being involved in legal tech, and of course, from practicing, What are you seeing and what are you doing differently in your practice, in your world, based on these changing market conditions? Due to changing market conditions, the wall between lawyer and client has maybe come down. We are expected to be more of a partner in creating solutions together and less of somebody who goes off and does something for a client in a little black box and nobody knows what happens and then you pay the bill. And that approach that to me we were taking prior to 2008, it kept us really separate and it kept us from doing things together. And I think that it really impeded good service and creating good creative solutions. So I am happy to see that wall coming down between lawyers and clients and where we are expected to be more of a business partner. We're expected to care about efficiency like our clients care about efficiency. We are expected to care about outcomes like our clients care about outcomes, not just billing. And I think that's a really good thing for our profession. No, absolutely great. So you're, of course, comfortable. You're a networker. You're a social person. You're, you've been in business, right? You didn't come out of undergrad, go straight to law school, go out and practice. You had some time in business. And of course, most lawyers, through work, through conversation, through educating themselves further, they will learn more about business and what is happening in their particular practice area specific to business or personal clients. What about your approach made it comfortable for you to talk with clients about their business, to ask hard questions, to talk to them about more than what you learned in law school and in those first few years of practicing law? Well, I would say that I am endlessly curious and intellectually flexible. So I am always trying to figure out, well, what's going on? How did you get to this point? I don't just look at the problem and then try to find the Band-Aid as fast as possible. I am looking at the problem and I'm thinking, well, how did we get here? And how can I help you fix that so that you don't keep encountering this? And I think that that approach 
makes clients and others much more comfortable so that they are willing to discuss business with you rather than simply their legal problem. And then I would also say that when somebody comes to me with a problem, I don't really say, oh, well, this is a bankruptcy jurisdiction question. So I'm going to give you a bankruptcy jurisdiction answer. I say, all right, well, what's going on here? What are your goals? What's been said? What's been promised? How can we meet these goals? And how can we try to keep everybody at the table negotiating, participating, and ultimately be happy where people all feel like they walked away with something that they wanted. And I think that is a non-standard approach for a lot of lawyers because they haven't been in business. But that approach definitely makes clients a lot more comfortable. And I just don't really know any other way to be, to be honest. Absolutely. I think it's a great approach and that idea of partnering and having the conversation. Of course, we want to know what their intended outcome is. And it's surprising. And there's been a lot of chat on social media these days how often the clients are not asked what is the expected outcome or what would be a desired outcome from this situation? Not specifically the legal side, but the actual business or operational side. Definitely. I've got a great relationship with one of my clients because I say to them all the time, you don't really need me for this. You know, Let's talk about your goals. Here's some strategies. Why don't you go talk to them and see if you can make that happen? This doesn't necessarily require a legal solution. And they go off and they do it and things work out. And then when things don't work out, they are happy to pay. And I think that it just shows that I see them. I see their business. I see where they're sensitive. And I'm not just trying to get everything out of them. Ivy, we have a number of early partners, people that have just taken on business development responsibilities who have been practicing, but you know now it's time to look at their networks and see where they might have opportunities to help grow their practice. What advice would you have for those people who are just starting out, just kind of turning around and saying, okay, it's time for me to get out in the market and establish my brand and create even a better network than I have today? So I'd say, put yourself out there, give first and be authentic. You have to go where the people are. And that's not sitting around quietly at your desk working. You know, you have to attend conferences in person. You've got to go to networking events where potential clients might be. You have to be active on social media and participating in a way that's real, not just in a way where you're obviously trying to sell something. And then I would say, you know, once you're out there, be giving and give first. So answer questions openly and honestly. Share information and resources that you've found. Help people. People are more willing to bring you their business and recommend you if you've been generous. It's also just a welcoming way to show what you know. If you are out there and answering questions and giving things away, people feel like you are committed to the legal community rather than just committed to enriching yourself. So if you're only sharing while asking for something, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel authentic and it won't really get you where you want to go. You have to share and give without the expectation of getting something in return. So on that note, be authentic. Like Talk about what you know and what you care about. People want to engage with real humans and I know it's really hard to feel free to be yourself when you are just starting out, but you still need to be you. And maybe don't show 100% of who you are if you're a little bit of a jerk, but you still need to show what you're interested in. If you have really interesting music tastes or super esoteric alcohol tastes or something, and it's something that you're passionate about, share those things. People want to engage with interesting people. And they choose to work with you because they like you. And there are plenty of people who do good work. But at the end of the day, clients hire who they like. 
So get out there, show your humanity, be authentic, and people will like you. Ivy, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Yes. I know this one sounds really simple, but please get out there and learn Microsoft Word. Learn to use the tools that you already have installed on your computer. Track changes, styles, linked cross-references, all of those things will make your life so much easier. We all know that those aren't really billable tasks, yet they're keeping you in the office until three in the morning. Why are you doing them manually? Please, please, please get out there, take a training course and learn to use the tools you have, especially Microsoft Office. I use Text Expander myself. Oh, I love Text Expander. People are like, how do you do that so quickly? I'm like, well, Ivy, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.